Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from French Lick, Indiana. That's right. Taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888-88-PETER. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question, or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. Okay, what's French Lick, Indiana? Well, actually, for the last, well, nearly 170 years, there's been an amazing... Uh, lodging establishment in this town. Not many people live here, by the way. Uh, the French Lick Springs Hotel and the West Baden Resort. Uh, and it's in the middle of Indiana. Some of you may have heard of French Lick simply because you're basketball fans. And then you've heard of Larry Bird. He was from French Lick. In fact, you can't go anywhere in French Lick without every 20 feet seeing a picture or a piece of memorabilia or even a statue of... Larry Bird. Only person who's not around here anymore, of course, is Larry Bird, who left town. But this this particular resort that I'm telling you about is part of the historic hotels of America because there's such great history here. The architecture, the design, the old train service. There's one train that still runs, which is actually quite interesting. They have another historic train. They have a trolley. That's a cool thing. There's a casino here. But the real story here and, and when you go back in the history to see who used to stay here and why they came, they came for the mineral baths. They came for the, the, uh, the healing springs. Um, and remember, it's called French Lick Springs. Well, the, the, the mineral baths aren't here anymore, but the hotel is. And if you take a look at who used to come to this hotel, you know, people who used to perform here. You know, this is where Franklin Delano Roosevelt rounded up support. It's where Abbott and Costello used to play. It's... Uh, you know, it's where people went. Today, yes, there's amazing golf here, PGA course. And if you want to know the truth, the PGA has been here since 1924. There's, uh, there's horseback riding. There's an amazing spa, 13 dining options. But what gets me here is the architecture and the design and the restoration of this particular hotel. And, uh, and a little bit later in the show, we'll, we'll talk about that. Let's uh, talk about a couple of things in the news. Let's face it these days. There are, th- there are some who would argue that the airlines are now manufacturing, uh, and intentionally so, programmed misery. And what I mean by that is the way that they're designing the seats, 
the way that they're actually moving the seats closer together in a pitch way, meaning the distance between the seat in front of you and your seat, and of course, the width of the seat that you're sitting in. There's first class, business class, coach class, and last class. And the, the most amazing thing, and, and, and this is something that, that came out recently at the World Travel and Tourism Council where I was there, is that American Airlines claims that 87% of their passengers have only flown the airline once. And they only flew it based on price alone. Now, that's not really the way American Airlines wanted to structure its business model. It's because of airlines like Spirit and Frontier, all other airlines that people fly only because of price. Uh, 13% of the airline's passengers are the ones who basically make the airlines their profit. They're the guys flying in the first and the business class sections, mostly the business class sections, where um, you know they can get a, a much higher yield. Well, this is the same airline that argues that foreign carriers, especially the Gulf carriers, are flying people below their cost in order to beat up all the U.S. carriers because all these other airlines are, are supposedly subsidized. Well, one of the arguments that was made by the president of America, Scott Kirby, is that uh, if you look at the true fares of what these Gulf carriers, Emirates or Etihad or Qatar, are charging, they're flying from like New York to Milan for $67. Well, let's face it, international airline tickets are heavily taxed no matter what country you're flying to or from. Is it really $67? Not really. However, I was recently on a flight from New York to Chicago, from LaGuardia to O'Hare, on guess which airline? American. And guess what the fare was? $68. Now, no one could argue, least of which would be American, that they made money on that flight. So why were they charging me a, a, a fare that was demonstrably below their cost? It's called trying to get a competitive advantage in a highly competitive market. Isn't that what everybody does, at least initially, to get the leg up? So this whole argument that the U.S. airlines are making against the foreign carriers is somewhat suspicious. At the same time, go back to that 87% figure. 87% of the people who fly American have only flown it once. So they're not really supporting the airline unless there's a price they like and they're just shopping price. So that brings up what's going on across the board in the travel industry, whether it's airlines or hotels. And when you go online, what's the first price that comes up? Is it the best and lowest price for you? And the answer is not necessarily if you put things in perspective. So go online. Go on, go on Expedia or Travelocity or, or Orbitz. Of course, Expedia now owns all of those. Uh, and see what comes up first on an airline price. You might see what appears to be a very low price. And then go on the margin where it tells you how many stops you're making and how long the actual elapsed flight time is. In many cases, if you want that $67 fare from New York to Chicago, you might have two stops. The flight might actually take nine hours total elapsed time. So if you're just going by Pricer alone, guess what? You be an idiot. If you scroll down and you find the fare at $74, you may have one stop. And $82 might be nonstop. So you need to do, you know, do your homework. Don't just get excited by the price or you'll be spending a lot of time sitting in rocking chairs at the Charlotte airport waiting for your next connecting flight on a distance you could have almost walked. Now, what about hotels? Now we're getting into some dangerous territory. Expedia is now offering hotels a deal on something called preferential positioning. What does that mean? If, you, if you're the hotel and you pay Expedia a higher commission, so your commission now goes from, let's say, 15% to as high as 30% that when you go online, meaning the person listening to this show, to look for a, a deal at a hotel, guess which hotel pops up first? The guys who paid to be first, not necessarily the best deal. And where's the transparency there? Does the consumer know this? Nine times out of 10, unless I just told you, and by the way, I just did, you don't. Toto, I've a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Uh, I can call her an old buddy now. 
because uh, not too long ago, um, when I first really discovered this location, she took me on a very interesting journey. Her name is uh, Sandy Woodward. Sandy, where'd you take me? Well, I took you to the top of the dome, uh, down inside the drum, which is the center hub, where there are paintings of angels that are still somewhat of a mystery today. And that's all in the, it's, it's sort of like frescoes on the interior of the walls. Right. You can't see them from the ground. You actually have to climb the exterior of the dome. Yeah, let, 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 let's call it really what it is, okay? It's not like you climb the, you get on this rickety metal <laughs> ladder on the top of the building. It's like an old Buster Keaton movie. Well, you know, it's this has been here a very long time, over a hundred years. It so. is, and so you do it very gingerly, and you don't look down. Especially if you're afraid of heights. Even if you're not, you do not look <laughs> down. And then you climb up. Well, first of all, you walk around on the roof, then you climb up again, then you climb in, mm -hmm. and then you see it. It's like, what is this? Yeah. Right? It's the last thing you'd expect to see, and most people don't even know they're there. Well, it goes back to what, the Jesuits? Well, at first glance, most people assume that it's the Jesuits uh, because they are paintings of angels, but there's graffiti on them that actually goes back to 1918, which actually predates the time that the Jesuits were here. So um, it's kind of a mystery. We're not sure who put them there. Uh, could have been painters who worked on a renovation here in 1917, uh, circus painters who painted sideshow banners and calliopes in the winters they spent here. Um, it, it has a lot of possibilities. We still search for answers today. And no clue. No clue. No clue as to even who did them. Right. No, they're not signed. Now, I should say in the interest of full disclosure, I had a special treat from you because... You, you did. Because most people can't go up and see that. Right, right. But, there, but you can walk around the hotel. There are, they are mounted here. I mean, the reproductions, you can actually see There them. are some reproduction prints um, over here behind the fireplace that you can read about their story and see the trek you'd have to take if it was allowed. And the real, I mean, it's, it's, and you haven't really done much to it because you really can't. Right, right. There's a... They can't truly be restored. The area doesn't have good access to heating and cooling. So in the winter, it's very cold, and in the summer, it's very hot, and that, you know, reacts to the pain. And by the way, no respect at all the season, it's always very high. <laughs> it's always very high. That's the one constant. Now, that was a surprise. I mean, it really was. But when you look around this hotel, when you look around not just this building, but so many other buildings, it's full of surprises. It is. It is. What's it's the biggest surprise to you? Uh, the biggest surprise to me, uh, you can't help but be wowed every time you walk into this atrium. Um, to have saw it back then in 1996 when all this began, uh, when the best advice that they could get was they said, call it a ruin and let people crawl all over it. There's nothing, nothing that can be done to save it. Um, and what year, but was here that? It what, is. what year was that? 1995. So, 20, well, 21 years ago, this place was like left to just rot. Right, right. It was in a decay. And most people who saw it at the time... It was closed. ...believed that it was tied up in a bankruptcy, just basically sitting here abandoned. Now, it's one thing to look at it now, but to look at it back then must have been downright scary to even think of or even contemplate trying to bring it back. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it, it was uh, quite a daunting task, and most people believed that it couldn't be done. Uh, but fortunately, Indiana Landmarks and Bill Cook believed that it could um, and they didn't give up and here it still is today. Now I have to ask you know when you take a look at the history of this place the design the architecture or we'd say in the layman's terms the nooks and the crannies I mean there are so many nooks and crannies here have you been through every one of them? I have. <laughs> I've been very fortunate. Because uh, we're talking a lot of space here. Yeah in in my work for Indiana and you, Landmarks. And by, the way, and by the way you couldn't build this hotel today. Oh, no. Well, I think you could, but I don't think it would be as fabulous. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, I mean, in terms of the way hotels are built today with allocation of space, they would never give you a, an atrium this big. They would never give you a oh, rotunda no. this big. <laughs> are you kidding? It's all about square footage and how much you're getting back. How for much investment. you're going to make per inch. Per room. Exactly. Yeah. Continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. 
in the history of this place, of course, first opened, well, not necessarily first opened, but its main attraction was because of the mineral waters. People came here for the, for the treatments and for the baths and everything. That's long gone, but you can still see where it was. There's still, you can still see the wells. Yes, there are two of the original four spring uh, pavilions still here on the property today. Now, the water doesn't flow there anymore, uh, but these were sulfur springs, so we'd probably have to pay you to drink them. Uh, but the two original springs still stand, uh, along with a billiard and a bowling alley, um, which was used for recreation. There were two things you had to do to be cured, and one was to exercise, and the other was to drink a lot of that water. Is the billiard and bowling alley still operating? It is no longer operating. Um, we have a little bit of a flooding problem in the area, but it's something they're working on, and hopefully in the near water future. Water billiards. Water billiards. Come on. Hey, it's a new game. <laughs> I mean, foot golf, why not? It's a natural extension, huh? <laughs> Well, okay, what's the biggest surprise for you? I guess the biggest surprise for me is continually meeting the people who come here today um, who are visiting for the first time. Uh, but so a lot of times it's those who have returned who saw it when it was an absolute wreck. And their amazement just speaks volumes about, you know, the quality of the work and, and the preservation of this one-of-a-kind piece of architecture. And when you walk around... I mean, and you look at the workmanship today that, I mean, literally, you, you couldn't, well, you probably still could do it, but you couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing that it works the way it does, yeah. right? Is, is um, when people come here, as you do, I mean, to study the history, I have to ask the obvious question, is it haunted? Come well, on, come on. You're probably not going to like my answer. And I've had people actually get mad at me um, for my answer because I get asked that question quite frequently. Well, I, you have to ask a question. You yes. hear the story about it was a place that was abandoned. It was a wreck. It was the, you, mm -hmm. you start obviously thinking yeah. that this is going to be a big yeah. place for Halloween. Right. I started working for Indiana Landmarks um, in 1999, and I had an office here in this building. And Quite often at the end of the day after and those by the way, you're a nonprofit organization. Correct, correct. And we've always done guided historic tours of the hotel to raise awareness uh, about this landmark. So at the end of our day, after everyone had gone, a lot of times I would be in this building by myself um, with a security <laughs> guard about 30 yards down the hall. Come on, pay it off. If I had to pay work it, late. Pay it, pay it off. You know, no, I've never <laughs> experienced anything out of the way. Um, I don't believe, I'm not saying that it is, I'm not saying that it isn't, it's just never been proven to me. So late at night, you haven't seen you know, visions of, no? No. 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 Okay. Were you drinking I at know. all? Or no. 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 Okay, fine. Diet Coke. That's it. That's the reason. <laughs> That's the That's reason. That's the reason. Nobody ever see ghosts on Diet Coke. Now, there, there they are see those, ghosts on vodka. Yeah. yeah. I will acknowledge that there are those who disagree with me, but I've never experienced anything odd. Have you, had have you had the, the paranormal folks in investigating? Yes, we have. And? and they believe that it is haunted. I mean, have you walked around with them when they, when they actually said they heard something or saw something? Yeah, I've saw their photographs with the orbs and, you know, all yeah. that. Yeah. And? I'm not convinced. Okay, you're still drinking Diet Coke at the time. I'm still oh, drinking okay, Diet fine. Coke. Okay, <laughs> I'm just double checking. I just have to, you know. It's safe to stay here. Okay, Don't be I, scared. Oh, I. <laughs> What was the one discovery that you found that you went, wow, if they could only bring that back? Uh, the bicycle track, I think, is probably the most fascinating uh, feature that is gone today. Um, it was one of Mr. Sinclair's earliest additions to the hotel. Uh, he built it when the first hotel still stood here, so I always tell people he was already thinking in big round ways. It was a third-mile oval track, two stories tall, bicycles and on the top level carts and ponies on the bottom regulation size baseball field and three tennis courts in the middle bring it back yeah well you, you have the space you have the, the space we the space is still there this little creek though kind of spills out every once in a while elevate it yeah yeah you could well, do it you could do it yeah we, we, you know we'll amazing? talk to the architect <laughs> uh, uh, he's dead <laughs> no he's sitting right there i know i know that's the new guy it's the new guy the new guy the new guy he can do anything by the way the new guy's been doing this for about 20 years you know? he has hey by the way when you think about all this you know when you think about how they built this is that number right that i saw that they it only took them 277 days to build this that is correct unreal yeah yeah i always tell people it take us that long to do the paperwork today or longer. Probably longer. 
or longer. Yeah. And I, I saw in the history books what Abbott and Costello played here. Abbott and Costello did, had one of their. Uh, now I'm dating biggest, myself because yeah. half my audience goes, "Who?" You know. Hey, Abbott and Costello was one of my favorites. So Speaking you have of good baseball, audience. who's on first? You yes. Know. Abbott and Costello had one of their most successful war bond drives down at the French Lick Springs Hotel. They raised over $2 million for the war effort. In those days, that's a lot of money. Legend says they sold everything but their underwear. Now we know it's haunted by their underwear. (laughs) That's it. Late (laughs) at night, a couple of boxer shorts are flying around the room. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go. Joining me now is somebody who knows a little bit about that. She's the director of the French Lick West Baden Museum, and her name is Lynn Wagner. Hey, Lynn. Hi, how are you? So, you know, I, I did a little research about French Lick beyond Larry Bird, okay? You'll, you'll, <laughs> okay? Um, and what I discovered is, you know, this was a gambling town. It was. It was. And it was a, it was a, it was a railhead, too. I mean, the, rail, the, the, the trains came right through. Absolutely. Actually, the common denominators for all of what I call the spa towns or the watering holes were some kind of water, hot, cold, um, well, you had mineral. Min- you had, we had mineral. You had mineral springs here. That's correct. You still do, by the way. We do. But you don't use them anymore. You can't get the water because it has trace amounts of lithium, and that's now a controlled substance. Ah. And people came by rail, and then for the entertainment, it was gambling long before it was legal and long before Las Vegas. So basically, people got shot. <laughs> 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 that's how they settled their losses. In those days, probably. I have no idea. Not not too much, really. I think it was just uh, people who could afford to lose money came. You know what? That's a great branding opportunity for the casino. If you can afford <laughs> to lose money, come on down. <laughs> but but seriously, I mean, there's a lot of history here in a, in a part of southern Indiana that people don't really pay that much attention to. Absolutely. We're very, very rural. And the number one comment is, how in the world did these two huge hotels get here? I want you to tell me. In the middle of nowhere. They, exactly. It was the water. It, it really was. People, people, people came for the for the mineral water for the, for the health aspects. Originally. In the original. Yes, yes. And then by the time you got into the 1880s, 1890s, this was really a destination. Uh, people of wealth could afford to travel, and they did. And the rail travel uh, railroads made that very easy for everyone, and this was definitely a destination. Uh, the same people who maybe took cruise ships to Europe, to the uh, places like Carlsbad and Czechoslovakia, Wiesbaden, also were the people who came here. So they came for the treatments? I think there were two customers. Some came for the treatments. They were genuinely ill and really thought the water would cure you know, their gallbladder diseases and whatever else. However, I do think there was uh, what I call the party crew. Uh, these folks, <laughs> yeah, these folks, it was uh, the fad then to take the waters. And, yeah, they underwent the the, um, the whole program. They drank the water. They got the exercises. But they also ate very well. And in the evening, they entertained themselves by going to the casinos. The hotels each had orchestras. There was dancing. It was a wonderful place. There was horseback riding um, and baseball games to watch. All sorts of things happened here. All right, so then since the Mineral Springs areas were closed, right, when did that happen? Actually, uh, the first hit that this area took really was when the stock market crashed in 1929. Right. Uh, Many of the people no longer had the money to come. The second hit was in 1949 when the governor of Indiana shut down the illegal gambling. Shocked to find out that gambling was going on. Well, it had been talked about a lot in the newspaper, and back then the the, uh, newspapers had quite a bit of power. And uh, there was always comment being made, but uh, nothing ever happened. And finally the pressure, I guess, got too too huge, and the gambling shut down. It took a real toll on the hotel and the town, and uh, it took several years before the town even recovered. Okay, so then the town, we're talking maybe mid-50s? 49 into the 50s, 
uh, things were very, very tough here. And then uh, as you got into the 60s, Kimball International, which was a Fortune 500 company back in the 80s, uh, came in and that created some year-round employment. Meanwhile, we had these two wonderful hotels and they were really, really suffering. So what finally turned it around? Well, what turned it around was the, uh, the cook group coming in and uh, basically saving the West Baden Hotel. And, uh, and it was in bad shape? It was in horrible shape. As a matter of fact, uh, one of their slogans that they used after it was over was the save of the century. And it, it took huge amounts of money. That was the one thing that, that would help it. Well, you know, there's the old saying in the movie Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. And that's kind of the philosophy here, yes. And they built it, well, they rebuilt it. And they are coming. And what brings them here now? Oh, my gosh, look at this hotel. Look at this atrium here. Uh, part of it is the building. Part of it is a new place to go. And by the way, the noises that home. and the noises that we're hearing are kids going to the center of the atri of, of the rotunda, That's where right. the echo is unbelievably strong. Mm -hmm. And like I did, because I'm a big kid too, either clapping their hands or yelling to hear it, because you don't hear an echo that big many places. Actually, uh, a few years back, before the carpeting was in, I was told that it reverberated something like 28 times. And there was a, a fundraiser a few years back with the Ramsey Lewis Trio in here playing and when the drummer goes you have no idea what it does to the sound effects in this room and you could tell they were having a great deal of fun you know let's let's try this and we'll see how this this room acts yeah because so. it's, it's a sound chamber is what it is right it's unbelievable right. It, it is well definitely worth the visit for the for the architecture for the art for me for the space the sheer space of looking around here because mm -hmm. you don't just look forward you look up Oh, you have to. Yeah. It's a jaw-dropper, that's what and, they say. And great history. Oh, and by the way, did I mention they have a casino here now? Gambling's <laughs> back. And I'm going to mention that we have a miniature circus here also, because part of our history was circus. The nation's second largest circus wintered here. Wow. And at our museum, we have 1,100 square feet in miniature circus, highly detailed. Amazing. There you go, keep that going. This is flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3 and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. You gotta that noise you hear around me and that cavernous sound, we're in the largest freestanding hotel dome in the world. It's quite large, so uh, let's say our sound carries and reverberates, and the person who knows all about that and more is uh, essentially the chief architect around here in terms of the restoration work that's been going on for more than 20 years. His name is George Ridgway. Hey, George. Hey, thank you. You know, you and I had the chance earlier today to walk around and really see some amazing stuff, and the amazing stuff we see isn't as amazing as the story of how it got there or True. how you found it, because when you got over here, you, you had to peel back wallpaper and lift up carpets and go beyond columns to realize what was really here that was valuable that should be preserved. Exactly. We had uh, almost a forensic investigation to find out what was savable, what was restorable, what had to be replaced. And I'm sure the budget just kept going higher and higher and higher as you found out what was needed to be done. The original budget that we started out with in 1996 was $14.1 And what did it end up at, George? $560 million. Whoops, that accountant now is buried where? <laughs> <laughs> Underneath the building. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a relic. Um, but the money kept on coming because somebody was committed to doing it. Yes, the Cook family, Bill and Gail, their son Carl, were absolute preservationists, and they were committed wholeheartedly. And, you know, it, it, it takes not just vision, but it takes a pocketbook to do this because restoration work is time. It just takes time. It's painstaking. And when you think you finished something, you just started it. Uh, I mean, just talk about the carpet. I mean, you walked in there and took a look at the carpet, and then you pulled back the carpet. And what did you find? Well, yeah, at the French Lick Lobby, you, you went in, and it was all carpeted. The thing was painted three or four shades of gray, not 50 shades. 
and you pulled back. Funny, the, George. Yeah, you pulled back the carpet, and you found this immaculate, uh, almost unbelievable ceramic tile floor. So immediately you had to replace it. You looked in the ceiling, you found brackets, and between the brackets was a tiny little light bulb. And we found 61 of them in a corner. And then you got to searching more, and we found 676 more. And all that had to and be... And they worked. And they worked. You had to rewire them to bring them up to current code standards. And So, you know, just a, a surprise every time you turned around. The, the building would throw you a curveball. Well, what were the bones of the building like? Well, French Lick was... Uh, marginal at best. Uh, it was wood frame structure, it was concrete structure, it was steel. They'd used all kinds of building materials. And the wood frame was the original part of the hotel, as you mentioned earlier, and it had to be shored up completely. Here at West Baden, the concrete around the perimeter was such poor condition that it wouldn't even con be considered sidewalk standards today. So we, we bought 2.2 million pounds of eight inch I-beams and put them underneath all the concrete slabs. I had a structural engineer come to me one time and say, you know, I can solve this much simpler and much easier and save a lot of money. We put a metal deck down on the existing floor and we drill through and hold that concrete and I'll pour a new floor on top. And I thought about it for a minute and I said, okay, that, that's wonderful but don't make me change every doorway in this building or every stairway. As soon as you raise the floor, everything's got to change. So we stayed with our steel beams. Right, now, this is sort of like a, la a latter-day Raiders of the Lost Ark because I'm sure, you know, you were digging down one day and, and opened up a door that you didn't even know existed, right? Oh, yes, that happened quite regularly. Uh, you would even be standing like back in the, the commercial kitchen discussing how you were going to repair the roof and walk off the floor and it would cave in behind you. That actually happened one day. <laughs> so that, that was on the to-do list very quickly. Yeah, I was listening to Sandy about her, her uh, lack of ghosts. Uh, at, at the point where several things collapsed behind you, you almost thought it was possessed. Well, there you go. I'll let you talk about that with Sandy later on. Yes, right. <laughs> what was your biggest surprise? Uh, I think the biggest surprise was to find that this atrium that we're in, the structural integrity of it was rock solid. Uh, after seeing the collapse and the, the deteriorating concrete and windows broken and the, the place growing up in weeds and trees, and then find out structurally that this building needed to be saved because it was sound. It was, and, and, and yet... It's such a surprise to me, driving here on the, on the highway, and all of a sudden, here this is. Yes. You don't expect it. You don't expect it at all. I know. You're coming into a town of West Baden that has 676 residents and no neighboring French Lick. I mean, it says West Baden on one side of a sign, and French Lick on the other has 1,200. And then here are these two fantastic hotels. Unbelievable. Two fantastic hotels with 161 years of history and all these stories to tell. I'd love you to stick around for a second, George, because when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other discoveries you made here, and then we'll talk a little bit about the gold. Yeah, the gold. You know what I'm talking about. You start to laugh, but we're going to talk about that gold when we come back. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for a laugh. Talking to George Ridgway, the architect of this massive restoration and renovation project that's been going on for how many years, George? We started in 1996 in early May. So, so we're talking 20 years. 20 years. Uh, I mentioned gold right at the break. But before we get to the gold, I'm also fascinated by the trolley that's here, and I'm also fascinated by the tracks that are here. Because at one point, you had rail service right from your front door to Chicago. That's true. The Monon Railroad would take you all the way to Chicago. The name of the railroad was what? The Monon. I, you know, I, I heard of the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Hatchison at the, the Pika and the Santa Fe. I've never heard of the Monon. 
there, there is the Monon Railroad, and it went from Chicago all the way to Louisville, uh, and points to the east, even Cincinnati. So it, it was a major hub here in this part of Indiana. And I still see you have one of those Monon cars out there, too. They do. They have the historic cars re, re, uh, restored. Wow. Okay, so the railhead isn't here anymore, but you still have the trolley. Now, you have to explain this to me. There's a trolley that, that, that actually connects the French Lick Resort and the West Baden Hotel. It's built in 1930. It's electric. It's diesel, actually, and it's, and it's made in Portugal. Right. How did it get here? Uh, it came to the Indiana Railway Museum. They purchased it uh, in northern Indiana many years ago, and then they ran it as an electric trolley. It was a, a one-mile track between the two hotels. And then after that, they stopped using it in the early, well, I guess at the mid-1990s, uh, the trolley just laid in, in disrepair, and also the tracks. So we started a program to buy the trolley, from the Indiana Railway Museum, restore it, and then repair and rebuild the one-mile section of track. And that track was a state and federal grant, which had all kinds of red tape, strings attached, and rules. My God, they got rules. And it took us six years to build one mile of track through all the permits. They built the Transcontinental Railroad in three years. <laughs> but the trolley works. But the trolley works. Doesn't go fast. Doesn't go fast. But that's not the point. No. It's like uh, it doesn't go fast and it doesn't go far. <laughs> I've had dates like that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, let me ask you this. We've, we've, we've got everywhere I look, whether it's in, in the West Baden Hotel or the French Lick Resort, I see gold. You see gold leaf. Yes, of yep. course. That wasn't here 21 years ago. No, it was not. And the reason it was put in, like on the base of the columns and the, the fret work that's around the perimeter and all the, the gold leaf that's down at West Baden, was to, Mr. Cook thought, was to bring out the emphasis and draw your eye to the most significant parts of the building. And it does. And how much are we talking about here? Well, <clears throat> counting the backup, which is a plaster mold, and the gold leaf, there's 1,000 pounds. That's expensive. That's expensive. Wow. When people come here for the first time, I mean, it's an impressive building. You're not expecting to see it. I should say impressive buildings. What's the most surprising thing for them? I think it's when they walk into this atrium and they see a room 200 feet across with a 100-foot ceiling, and you can watch people's jaw just drop, and all they say is, wow. And this is the largest freestanding dome, well, at least it was in the world, until when? Yeah, well, until 1964. And what happened in 1964? Well, they built that thing in Houston, Texas called the Astrodome. Okay, so that's somewhat bigger, but you'd have to say as a hotel, this is still the largest one. It is still the largest one, and the way it's built, it's the largest three-hinged arch in the world. Which means what to people who are idiots like me? Well, it means on top of every column there's a hinge, and at the top where the angels are that you've been to, that becomes the third point of the hinge. And the angels is that hidden fresco inside a building. Inside the building drum, it's the compression ring. It's where all the weight of the trusses come together. So somebody wanted to do that there to hide it up there because they knew not a lot of people were going to see it. Yeah, we, we think that it was the artisans in the 1917 era that did all the, the restoration of this atrium with the marble. But it's a mystery. Nobody really knows. And nobody's ever going to know. Probably not. That, that was a mystery that died with whoever, whoever painted that. Probably true. Exactly. And for you, what was the most amazing discovery? Uh, I think the most amazing thing was that this building was 100 years old, and it was still here. At least you had something to work with. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now at radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? The third season of Peter Greenberg's public television series, The Travel Detective, premieres this month. 
And as in every season, the program was shot all over the world, giving you critical, essential information about everything from understanding frequent flyer miles to how the best tour operators train their guides. While we gear up for season three, we invite you to go to www.trafalgarcontest.com and enter to win the grand prize of a Trafalgar Europe vacation. Or you can always visit our website, petergreenberg.com, for more information. You know, we've been talking about the history of this hotel, the resort, the other hotel, the 3,000 acres in which it sits, in the middle of what some people might say is nowhere, because most people don't know where it is, um, in southern Indiana. And my next guest is a part of that nowhere, if you will. Uh, he's the owner of a, a name of a place that might be a little misleading until he explains it. It's, it's called the, uh, the Wilston Ranch. His name is Jerry Foose, but Jerry, is there a ranch there? There is. But there's more than that there? Absolutely. What is it? Well, right now, for the next eight months, there will be a herd of African elephants there. In the middle of southern Indiana? In the middle of southern Indiana. And it's not a circus? It is not, clearly not a circus. These are retired elephants. They are not performing. So basically, they're elephants with an AARP card? That Well, they're much younger than that. They're not eligible for AARP yet, but... <laughs> These are very spoiled elephants. Ah, but they're happy to see you. Absolutely. Because you feed them well. Well, because this herd of African elephants happens to be on natural grass, and they have access into the woods. They have mud holes. And, they and, have trees. And, and by the way, what most people don't realize, and I didn't until I first came here, you got a national forest around here. Yes. Well, our particular property is on 1,100 acres. So there are thousands and thousands of acres of wooded acres and rolling hillside in southern Indiana that most people are not aware of. So why elephants here? Well, actually, there was a history of elephants here. In fact, this great dome that we're sitting in right now was built, uh, was operated and owned by Ed Ballard for many years. And Mr. Ballard was a principal in the American Circus Corporation. See, we're back to the circus here. Back to the circus, that's correct. But this is not a circus. Okay, so there, you brought them back is what you've done. What we did is we, for the last eight years, we traveled America looking for the right set of, set of animals that we could bring to a natural setting where they are free to roam. And they had to be the right kind of animals that also wanted to interact with people. Sure. So what you've done is you took, you've turned essentially a historic ranch into an animal park. That's correct. But then there's more than that because you're also at the location of an indoor water park. Yes, we do have an indoor water park. We also have family activities such as side-by-side -side ATV tours, horseback riding, which the resort here has as well. And then we also have uh, uh, all kinds of activities here in southern Indiana in, in this particular area that people can bring their families and have a great time. Okay, now I gotta ask the stupid question. You said earlier, you pick elephants that you know wanna interact with people. How do you find that out? Do they fill out a questionnaire? No, you have to put in miles and miles and miles of traveling and do a lot of research. And the fact is... Oh, uh, let me ask, what did you know about elephants before you did this? Well, I've been a fan of elephants since I was a young man. Me too, is, but I don't know anything about them. But there's a lot of resources and what's happened across America and across, really across the world right now is elephants, there are less and less elephants every day due to the poaching of, of these course. animals. And of course, I was interested in African elephants because most of the animals that Americans are used to seeing are Asian elephants because they've been handled their whole life and all that. And the African elephant was an animal that was basically chased and was not around a lot of people. But we found the right set of animals that absolutely love to be around people. And how did you find them? I mean, how, literally, who told you they were they love to be around people? Well, what happened is because if you don't know the answer, you're gonna get you're gonna find out right away that they don't like people and people get hurt. Well, that's absolutely correct. But elephants in general are do very well with people. The the, the fact of the matter is there have been incidents. Most most of those incidents were by people that shouldn't have owned elephants and elephants that shouldn't have been exposed to the public. And so what we've done is there's a International Circus Hall of Fame, which is located in northern Indiana, in Peru, Indiana. And we had some resources there that we started with, and then we went to the Circus Hall of Fame out of Baraboo, Wisconsin. I know Baraboo very well. And so, you know, naturally we had some resources there. Now, let me ask you another question, because Ringling Brothers just announced, right, they're not going to do the elephants anymore. Correct. 
where do those elephants go? You know, those are, those elephants are going to be in, in Florida, and they will not be performing. I don't know exactly. I know they're going to keep their breeding program, or that's what they've announced. But the fact that there have been no elephants imported in the U.S. for years and years, and therefore the amount of animals available to the public to see is shrinking by the day. So your whole idea is, these, you say they're retired elephants, but I mean, do you have a breeding program too? No, we do not, but our youngest elephant in this herd is 30, and elephants, African elephants, will live to be 60 to 70 years old, so these elephants are pretty young. I gotcha, plus there's the indoor water park. Correct. Plus now you know everything about elephants. That's right. So you can educate people as well. Absolutely, and the people that come and actually get to touch the ivory of a living elephant along with touching the trunk of a living elephant are just moved. They come from all over the country. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. You know, for those people who've never been here before, and that's probably just about everybody listening to this show, um, if you're a basketball fan, okay, you think of Larry Bird, and then you got nothing else to say. And then you show up here in southern Indiana, about an hour and a half out of Louisville when you land out of the airport, and then you go, wait a minute, how did this get here? What is this? Uh, first of all, it's amazing architecture. It's 161 years of history. And so you're impressed by the hotel, and you're impressed by the art, and you're impressed by the restoration work that they've done and their preservation of history. They are a member of Historic Hotels of America for a good reason. And then you find out there's a golf course, too. And not just any golf course, we're talking a serious golf course. And I have to, in the interest of full disclosure, say that I drive a mean cart, but I do not play golf. And the man sitting across from me in the microphone is already starting to laugh because his name is Dave Harner. He's the director of golf operations for French Lake Resort. But... Tell me about that course. Well, it's our newest golf course. We, we began construction in 2006. Uh, Pete Dye came down uh, in early 06, began the project. We finished it in, uh, in April of 2009. We're very fortunate in 2009 to be named the best new course in America as a result. But, you know, let's go really back into history and realize that, you know, golf has a real history here that goes way beyond that course. Right. Um, I mean, we're talking PGA dating back to one. Well, the Donald Ross course that hosted the 24 PGA was built in 1917, but we even go back farther. We had an 18-hole course adjacent to the French Lake Hotel that was built in 1907. So uh, it reaches back, you know, nearly 100 years. Wow. And and the point is, you know, the PGA still comes here. We just hosted the uh, 2015 Senior PGA Championship last year. Now, honestly now, okay, when the guys come here, are they blown away because somebody has to get out a map and show them? I, I think they were uh, I, they were surprised, I think, to find such a quality golf course in French Lake, Indiana. But at the same time, they were very familiar with Pete Dye and his work. So, Well, they, um, knew, it was, they knew it was a Pete Dye course. They knew it was a Pete Dye golf course, so they knew they were in for uh, a challenge. All right, so now talk golf to me. What's the biggest challenge of this course? I think uh, the biggest challenge for a good player is the, the elevation changes. Uh, if you miss the fairway slightly, uh, there are sometimes a hundred foot drop off the edges, so you're faced with some really awkward lies and stances. If you if you hit the ball in the fairway, it's it's a fair golf course. It's a fun golf course. How about if you just can't hit the ball? <laughs> if you can't hit the ball, play the forward tees. That's the best <laughs> advice I can give you. But the thing is, you know, I I, I toured the golf course the last time I was here, and uh, it was really quite su- uh, substantial to me. I just I didn't expect to see it. It was a surprise. Yeah, you know, most golf courses are built on you know 150, 175 acres. This thing sprawls about 315 acres, so it's really a massive, massive piece of property. All right, now for real schleppers like me, okay, you understand the word schlepper? Okay, I good. do. Okay, I'm scared to hear that. Okay, but Dave, for real schleppers like me, you've got something here called foot golf. Foot golf has been uh, uh, a really fun thing to watch. You know, we, I could do that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's for everybody. We, um, we're pretty proud of the fact that we were one of the first uh, foot golf destinations in Indiana. How about holding? No clubs. No clubs, no lessons, no stress. 
What do you do? It's 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 golf basically played with a soccer ball to a 22 inch <laughs> hole. So you know you don't need clubs, you don't need lessons. You can walk. Uh, families can play together. And how long is a tee shot? Oh, a good tee shot's probably 100 yards. All right, so we're not talking really big distances. No, no, it's the longest hole on the, on the course is about 180 yards, and the short one's 60. And do they have pars on this thing? Oh, sure. It follows the par of the golf course, actually. We, we set it up where that the par would be the same for uh, foot golf and golf, but it's played within the confines of the holes. So golfers are out there and foot golfers are out there, and it's, uh, you know, it's kind, of, kind of a fun sight to watch. I, it, it's become popular? Very, very. We had um, almost 1,000 rounds in uh, the month of March. Wow, and that was when it was snowing. <laughs> well, we had some great March weather. I have to, I have to confess, it was really good March weather. I love it. Foot golf. Who knew? There's hope for me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And do they have caddies? We haven't gone that far, <laughs> but you can take a cart. <laughs> so I got it. Get the soccer ball, the cart, some alcoholic beverages, perhaps. I think that's, that helps. That helps. You know, the, the fact that you've already told me you can drive the cart, that you're halfway home. That's right. Where is he? He's out playing foot golf. I love it. I love it. Dave Harner, the Director of Golf Operations. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.